Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Your Therapist Needs Therapy. I'm the host, Jeremy Schumacher. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And today I have a very special guest. I wanted to start the podcast off with this guest because this is my former therapist. Today I'm joined with Melissa Hale. Melissa, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Always happy to, to be here. I'm so stoked. We we were talking a little bit off camera. I'm going to just start with self-disclosures, just about like kind of the weirdness of like, oh, should we sign a release? Like I'm a former client of yours. Like where are we at? So I think this this is a really great topic for therapists. And I'm super stoked that you agreed um, because I wanted to start with somebody who works with other therapists. Amazing. And I, I love that we can kind of navigate some of those formalities, which I think in the past might have been limiting to the point where people didn't talk about this. Um, but, uh, you know, this is a great day and age to be open to to talk about mental health being part of overall health. Right. Mm -hmm. And that we all have mental health as part of our you know overall health. Including yeah. therapists. Including therapists, yes. Um, so why don't we do a little bit like of your history and talk about kind of how you ended up in the mental health field. Okay, well, I en ended up here by default. It certainly was, you know, kind of joke. It's not like I grew up saying, oh my gosh, I want to be a therapist. Some people do, mm -hmm. um, but it was really by default. So I um, always wanted to work with people in the healing realm, thought I might be a nurse. Um, but as I was kind of uh, navigating college and again, I picked social work, I say by trial and error. Sure. <laughs> um, so navigating the different options available, social work really just called me um, because I love seeing people holistically, you know, mental health is part of overall health, but we're all products of our family environment, our culture, our society. Um, so it's the social work realm that really kind of um, drew me to mental health. Sure. So when you started college, did you know you were doing social work or you switched hell, somewhere through it? Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> Again, it was process and elimination. So I, okay. you know, took uh, intro to occupational therapy, thought I was going to be a nurse, but pretty quickly realized the science world wasn't for me. Sure. Um, and I just took a social work uh, course off, uh, you know, just on a, on a whim and really fell in love with it. It, it um, was intuitive to me. And sure. I think the older I get, the more I realize that I'm a very intuitive person. Yeah. And so it it really kind of was was my calling. Yeah, I love that. I think uh, I relate a lot to that because I went into college a double major for psychology um, and pre-med. I thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And I think both of those stories speak a little bit to how far along society has come talking about mental health because yeah. I had no idea what psychiatry was actually like when I went to college. <laughs> like I didn't know it was 15 minute med checks. I just thought like it was what I saw on TV, like Goodwill hunting style there. Yeah. Like, that's what I thought it was. And so like you get to college and you almost have to kind of filter through what you're going to do. I think a lot of therapists know they want to help people and they don't know what that's going to look like. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, if you do want to go into counseling or, um, you know, the psychology field, there's so many different career paths to pick from as well. But I'm a social worker through and through, um, especially when it comes to, you know, kind of social justice, um, person as product of their environment, all of the above. So mental health was one component um, that I just naturally kind of drifted to because um, I always remember, especially as a young adult, 
really being fascinated with people, that there is such a diversity of people out there. And I was always so curious about how, what made people tick and what motivated people, what, you know, um, that we're all so different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so then navigating through all those different options for how to be a helper. Exactly. Settling on mental health and then having a bunch of options on what you want to do in mental health. Like, how'd you kind of get into the point where you were doing, you know, mental health counseling, where you were doing that kind of one-on-one, -on -one, let me meet with someone, talk for an hour, help them through their stuff individually. Like, how did you get to that point? Um, again, that was, that was a long journey too. So I studied clinical work, um, but as a social worker, I worked in the medical field for a long mm -hmm. time. So in hospitals, which um, some might say isn't clinical social work, but I would argue that even a one-time interaction with a, with a client, you know, inpatient or family is really uh, mental health, right? That yep. it really is fluid. Um, but uh, after kind of tiring out from the medical system, I, I got back into private practice, which um, has been wonderful to be able to be part of the community locally um, mm -hmm. and yeah, and just be able to, to support clients one on one. Yeah. What, this is a leading question, what, yeah. what was your experience with uh, college, grad school, all the, all the kind of like organized schooling about something like going into private practice. Um, I guess, I guess my question is, did that seem like a good option coming out of college or were you kind of pushed towards doing something more like agency-based? Yes, definitely agency-based right away um, as far as the social work um, degree goes. And it's almost like you have to pay your dues at a kind of low paying, you know, clinical agency, um, which is unfortunate because I, I do believe that we're undervalued, underpaid as mental, mental health professionals. Um, but yes, private practice was kind of like the gold standard, right? That everyone yeah. wanted to get there eventually. And now I see why there's so much freedom and I love the ability to not just have freedom in my schedule, but be able to kind of cultivate, um, you know, or, or kind of pick and choose the clients I want to work with, which is amazing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I had that similar experience, I think, and I think that's uh, true for a lot of therapists. I think it started to change, but you said something that I like felt viscerally of paying your dues. And I, I think it's such yeah. an unhealthy old school mentality we bring into the field of like, you have to start out at, uh, you know, see 30 clients a week at this job that you're not getting paid well. And right. Why do we? I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, it's it's just really bullshit, is what it is. And I'm, I, you know, I, I, I still harbor a little resentment towards um, my master's program uh, for not having any business courses available. Of like, hey, this is how you navigate the business world if you do do that for yourself. So, you know, when I graduated, it was like I had no experience negotiating, you know, for a raise or asking mm -hmm. for what I wanted or, you know, just how to navigate that realm. Um, you know, it's almost as if you have to put aside put aside your own needs um, for helping other people, which of course is not healthy. Right, and not yeah. sustainable, which is exactly. I think why so many people burn out. Um, yes, and and this for me, it was super normalized to go sign a contract where you get fifty five to sixty percent of your your reimbursement rate, and and you're splitting it with whatever agency you work with. And that was the only experience I had. Like that was, I thought that was so normal. I didn't even know it was like an option. And well, I'm it is normal, field. but I, you right. know, I don't think it's, um, I don't, 
I don't know if I want to say right, wrong. I think there's a lot better options out there for somebody who's willing to kind of take, take the leap, take a risk and, and yeah. have their own practice. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with that wholeheartedly that my master's program didn't have any business background. We didn't have anything about like how to run a practice or negotiate contracts or any of that stuff. I would say, I mean, I think we had one paper we had to write, like if you were to set up your ideal treatment center, what it would it look like? But it was so like big and expansive. We didn't learn that much through it. It was more of just like, you know, everybody put like, oh, I'd love to have a, a farm somewhere that has all these different forms of therapy. Like it wasn't realistic of like it wasn't hey, practical and the business side is important right. it's really important right and certainly not normalized to be like straight out of grad school you could go open your own shop and i think that's starting to get out there i hear some other podcasts and i know some some other people who are early in their careers interested in just doing it that way and not bothering with the agency route which i think is fantastic but i think the field as a whole still needs to kind of like lurch forward and say like hey this is a good way to do it it's a great way and what I also like about it, it's kind of a rebel way because you're getting out of the medical system too. So for sure. example, um, my husband works at a big healthcare organization. So when I, when we're seeking out mental health, we either have to go to the hospital or like an outpatient clinic to see a provider if we want insurance to pay. Right. Um, so we pay out of pocket. So it's like, you know, um, there's this huge medicalization of mental health that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it's like often it's like you have to go work for one of those really big medical organizations. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, this is going to be a thing I talk about with a lot of my guests. Uh, you take a little bit of insurance, not a ton, a couple mm -hmm. of options. I don't take any insurance at all. Um, I think for similar reasons. I think that idea of getting mental health out of I wouldn't even say the medical field. I just say like the, the insurance field because sure it's not beneficial to clients. It, it's not, it's not helpful. It was never helpful for me as a marriage therapist to have some undergrad student who's working for Humana or whomever, not to throw shade directly, but like for whoever and be like, well, you're at X number of sessions and this is only supposed to take this long based on the diagnosis. And I was like, that's not how couples therapy works. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I, and I would say, I mean, I see why some people would want to stay out of it, but for many, probably 75% of my clients are use insurance. And for mm -hmm. them that, um, you know, I, I don't know if they would pursue therapy if they had to pay completely out of pocket. Yeah, I definitely, you know, it's a, a balancing act between being accessible to people and practicing yeah. in a way that you think is most helpful to people. Exactly. Which exactly. is a societal problem that doesn't need to exist, but... We can harp Thank on that later. <laughs> Thank you. We could do we could do a whole podcast on that, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, so what's what's uh, as you've been navigating the professional side of things? What's the personal side look like for you? How have you kind of um, meshed your knowledge around mental health into your own personal life? Beautiful. Yeah. So um, I would say work life balance is really important for me. So I'm pretty clear on the type of clients I work with and the quantity. So mm -hmm. I really see my maximum is like 20 people a week as far as clients yeah. go. Um, and then personal side is really to, it's so important to talk or, or walk the talk, right? Um, yeah. 
So when I'm talking about boundaries, self-care, rest, what you eat with my clients, it's because that is what I do. Of course, not yeah. perfectly all the time, but it's yeah. so important to take care of myself. And um, from time to time, you know, reach out to my own therapist too to sure. get some support. Yeah. What's was what's the difference now at this point in your career versus that fresh out of grad school? Melissa, who was taking that that agency type job, like, was it learned experience? Or was it, you know, a burnout at some point? Was it just it felt disingenuous? Like, how did that progression kind of look for you personally? All of the above roller okay. coaster, right? All yeah. of the above. so a lot of it is learned experience. Um, I'm also the type of person where I could get bored easily. Sure. So for a job in a kind of an, uh, you know, clinic setting, I was never at a job longer than three years um, mm -hmm. because I would kind of gather what I needed to do. I, I felt like get the experience and then move on to something else. Um, and actually, this is the longest I've been in, in a solo career so far as sure. maybe six years with my private practice. Um, but yeah, I mean, and a lot of roadblocks along the way. So I think, you know, navigating my own ups, my own downs, um, getting married, having a child, big life changes, um, you know, that that is all part of um, my experience, right? Sure. Um, yeah. Does that yeah. answer the question? <laughs> How, Where are you uh, going? I feel like you're going for something different. There. I, I wasn't going for something specific. No. Mm -hmm. um, as far as like something like self-care goes, um, even boundaries, I think, what does that look like now compared to fresh out of grad school? Because I know, go yeah. ahead. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Huge. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a big boundaries person and my boundaries are not perfect. So I'm still working on it. Mm -hmm. I have, um, I can say no so much easier. Often that starts at work saying no to a certain type of client, or if it's not working out with a certain client, yep. maybe, you know, transferring them to somebody else. Did um, you, because, mm -hmm, go ahead. Did you have a, an X number of clients you needed to see while you were in agency work? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And, and, you know, there's some, um, you know, I would say some boundary violations happening in, in that kind of, um, clinic work too um but it's all part of the agency kind of culture too yeah. of like oh this person you know is jumped out of a car last week but we want you to take it you know this is part of the social work clinic going in, right. into the homes but we want we want you to take this you know kid with you to their appointment <laughs> right um yeah so it's a lot of pushing boundaries i think as part of the norm if mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah and, and almost like a, a badge of honor right like i think that you huge and carrying a so pager carrying the on call i mean i never enjoyed that yeah and it, you know who enjoys getting a crisis call in the middle of the night right uh so there's a point in time when i said you know i'm done with that and if that's mm -hmm. part of this job i want something else sure yeah yeah so so boundaries in that way and then as your life naturally progressed you talk about having a kid like how did you start to balance some of those different roles as far as like i'm a spouse i'm now a parent like has that affected how you look at where your job fits in has that changed kind of your comfort level with those boundaries or did that kind of force you to have better boundaries it forced me to have better boundaries if you know one of my um goals in life is to be balanced and actually really one of my goals is to enjoy life right because sure. that's funny but it's like i'm going to be present there's so much to 
you know, really see if there's so much to value in life. And so my goal, one of my goals is always been happiness. And so with that in mind, um, I had to set boundaries. Um, whether it men, meant boundaries with friends, the older I get, there's been a couple of friendships I've had to, you know, cut off completely sure. in a way that's loving. You know, I still care about this person, but I can't have them in my life mm -hmm. um, because it's not healthy. So it might be a boundaries with friends, um, certainly with work. Um, yeah, and, and, and boundaries um, as a way to really protect and maintain um, my health. And how has you you mentioned earlier occasionally reaching out to your own therapist like how has that kind of woven into this progression that you've had yeah oh my gosh the um the wisdom and strength i think it takes to ask for help is profound mm -hmm. it takes a lot of courage to do that and so for me it's humbling you know, when I need to reach out and say, hey, I need some support um, because I, that humility for me is important. So I don't become or I'm not like, hey, just because I work in mental health doesn't mean I'm a mental health expert or my mental right. health is perfect. Right. Yeah. That I need support, too. And so that's something I've learned, especially since COVID. Um, that was the last time I really, um, you know, I think it was a year, a year through COVID. And I kind of was going through my own mental health crisis counseling my clients from home keeping it together yeah. um and i just hit a wall and so that yeah. was um the most recent time i had to reach out for support it was very humbling to say "Fuck, i need some help here i'm not okay right yeah mm -hmm. yes and and i i'll do some self-disclosure here uh i saw you coming right out of a bad work experience where i was burnt out coming out of COVID. i was working in higher ed um doing way too much and then COVID happened i was doing too much before COVID, but then even more because i was doing mental health for student athletes and um and then i went into a private practice that wasn't a good fit for me and so we worked through all of that and and i on my website, on my Psychology Today profile and all this stuff, I talk about how much grace I have for people who ask for help because similarly to what you're saying, I think it takes so much self-awareness and it takes so much courage to ask for help. So I think um, going through those things personally and having a therapist who's, who's super helpful. And then you and I, I launched my private practice. I launched my own practice when I was working with you. And so it was kind of this thing where like, got the thing I needed from therapy, getting, not being burnt out and being healthier with with some work-life balance boundaries um, and getting out a bunch of anger. But also then I think uh, we did some coaching too in there of just for like how to run a practice. And I think that that aspect of therapists helping other therapists and that I always heard things about mentorship, but nobody ever told me how to actually find or get a mentor. But like, again, that like coaching aspect of here's somebody who's who's been in the, the profession a little bit longer, is a little bit further ahead, and there's just saying like, oh, here's what I did. It's not as complicated as you would think. Or here's here's the mistakes that I made. Don't make those. This is what I did. And and I think just that idea that having that space to talk about those things freely and talking about those those things comfortably makes a huge difference. And I found was always helpful for me in the work that I was doing professionally too. The fact that I had 100%. the experience as a client. 
100%. And I always uh, recommend to people that when you're interviewing therapists, ask them if they've been in their own therapy. I yeah. don't want to go to a therapist that's never been in their own therapy because for me, it's important to have someone who has the knowledge, like textbook knowledge, but also the experience, their own experience of what it's like to be on the receiving end. Um, yeah. I remember being in grad school and it was highly recommended to be in therapy. So I sought out a therapist. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I thought, gosh, there's all this talk about SSRIs, you know, and I kind of had a, a, a have a mild, uh, you know, generalized anxiety disorder. And I said, well, I'm going to try it. There's so much talk about it. So I want to try it to kind of see yeah. what all the talk is about. Right. So yeah. that's like experience it. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, post <laughs> post grad was the first time I went to therapy and I went really just specifically to get my ADHD diagnosed. I knew at that point very definitively that I had ADHD. But even just having the, I think the table switched a little bit on like processing it for myself versus yeah. the textbook knowledge I had, which was a strength of mine. I'm an intellectual, so I like to intellectualize. Yes. And so that idea of like having to actually go through and be like, oh, of course I have ADHD. And of course it's affected me my whole school career now that I'm in post-grad and almost done with school. I'm finally getting my diagnosis, but like all the other stuff that then fell into place. Um, so some of the things that I'm still connecting dots on, like having sensory issues and all this other stuff. So even with that textbook knowledge, I think it's different when you're applying it to yourself and kind of having to look at the, the whole person as opposed to just like, let me look at your brain and explain why your brain's doing what it's doing because I'm really good at that versus being like, oh, yeah, this is how it affects my relationships. This is how it affects my Absolutely. diet, my nutrition, my sleep, all these other things. Right. To look at someone holistically, I agree. And and I um, have experience. I'm so grateful. I have experience with a variety of therapists. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with uh, actually my first therapist was in hindsight, pretty horrible. I was uh, 19 and went to him um, for some disordered eating. And I didn't know at the time, but in hindsight, I just realized he he did a lot of self-disclosure that was pretty inappropriate at the time. Sure. Um, and then from there had seen more kind of supportive, uh, like psychodynamic therapists, which is the way I was trained. Yeah. Um, and I will forever be grateful, the best therapist of my life. Um, I went to him for some postpartum issues, postpartum anxiety, and he was CBT trained. And I just had such a profound experience. It was so impactful, so helpful that um, I still think about him to this day. Just just yeah. really, really grateful for Todd, right? Todd was his name. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, it took a couple couple tries to find him. So even just to highlight the variety of therapists out there, the different um, theor theoretical kind of foundations that we come from, but then also the personalities, right? Right. You, you've got a personality, right? <laughs> yes. I've got a personality and it's like, it might not jive with everybody. Yeah, I think my first therapist was, um, I went to see somebody who, who had a specific degree that I didn't because I thought I was still, I was in my post-grad um, and I, I always had that love-hate relationship with schooling. So I knew uh, I had very little respect for people who had PhDs because I, I knew <laughs> the people who I went to grad school with who went on to get their PhDs were not people who I particularly thought were very intelligent. Um, and I was young and like had issues with school. Again, being neurodivergent and not having that diagnosed led to a lot of, I think, unnecessary angst about school. But uh, I, I found somebody who had a PsyD because I wanted to get diagnosed specifically. And and looking back, like, yeah, that personality fit wasn't there. I really picked that person not 
to be particularly helpful for me, but just to get a diagnosis. And, and looking back on it, that's not how I would do it now. At the time, that's what made sense to me. But again, I think even the idea of finding someone who's a good fit for you, but that fit might change over time. Who I wanted to see at 22 years old, who you maybe saw at 19, is not who you want to see at this point. 100%. And I, um, I would say in the past 10 years, too, I kind of vacillate. Well, actually, this isn't true. Over the past 10 years, I've seen, I have my therapist now that I'll check in with if needed, but I've also seen a handful of a variety of different coaches too. Sure. So I really, um, it's important for me to have some sort of mentor, whether again, that's a therapist, coach for a specific issue. Um, and that's been a really valuable to, to keep with that kind of, um, you know, growth mindset and support and also self-evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's it's fascinating, and I love hearing from other therapists how normal, because this is what we both, I'm sure, hear from our clients and have experienced. Most of my clients aren't coming to me brand new to therapy. A lot of my clients, especially couples I work with, are finding me because they've had bad experiences with other therapists. Yes. And, and so having, even for those of us who know how to navigate the field, being like, yeah, no, it's a process to find someone who's a good fit for you. Sometimes you need different people who have different specialties for a specific thing. I think that's good. I think as a field, we could probably do a better job of normalizing that experience. But some of these conversations, I think, help normalize. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really like, um, yeah, it, it, you know, I think sometimes people will pick who, who, first of all, who's accepting new clients because let's get real, there's just not yep. enough resource out there. But it can be so limiting and really kind of back you into a corner. And what if the person you see isn't a good fit? And, and right. I'm sure you've heard this too of, you know, I tried therapy, it doesn't work. Right. You know, yep. Because it wasn't a good fit. Or like, I no, went to therapy said. when I was a kid and didn't like it. And so yeah. now as an adult, I don't want to go back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, it, which is a shame because I think when you can kind of sift through, right, kind of navigate the field, it is just pure... Um, I don't know, joy is not the word. It's, it just can be pure enlightenment when you connect with that right person. Right, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, and and how to find a therapist, you know, a lot of people start with like, who's a network and who's taking new clients? And that yeah. can be really limiting, especially if you're not in a very large uh, metropolitan area, you might only have one or two options. And yeah. if that person's not a good fit, a lot of times people just go, well, therapy is not for me, as opposed to that therapist isn't for me. Mm -hmm. So can I, I don't can like I, to, yeah, yeah go ahead. can I ask you a question? Yeah. Okay. How do you kind of balance your mental health in the mental health field? So what you know, whether that's self-care or boundaries, what does that look like? Yeah, I think it's an ongoing thing. Um, obviously, you've you mentioned that it's not perfect, even with all the wealth of information we have in our field. Um, I think I've always done a really good job of prioritizing self-care. This is for whatever reason been. Uh, I think probably because I grew up without having my ADHD diagnosed that I, I figured out early on that like I need to have stuff that I enjoy. Otherwise, I'm just a miserable person. Um, and, and somewhere as I got into the mental health field and probably in my undergrad college, I had a really messy relationship I was in. I think I, I started balancing like using sports was always a really big thing for me um, that meshed well for my ADHD, but then even just like physically taking care of my body. So like working out and doing some of those things after I was done with my competitive uh, playing career, still being like, oh, 
I need to work out. I'm a much happier, healthier person. Um, I coached volleyball. So like, I was always aware of that, like time in the gym really helps me and not just like gym, like working out, but like playing volleyball. I like to joke sports is our socially acceptable way to hit something really hard. And like, for me, there's just, there's some value to like hitting a ball around. There's some value to taking a couple big swings on a volleyball net and like working out that way. I think as I've gotten older and since I've had kids, I've really had to get better at like slowing down, doing more mindfulness things, doing more. I don't do yoga as much as I should still. Uh, should is the wrong word, as much as I would benefit it from it. Uh, so that's that's a work in progress. But I'm uh, similar, I think, to you, the work-life balance has shifted a lot for me where I see 15 to 20 people a week, 20 is my max, where it used to be like that was my minimum. <laughs> Uh, um, so it's I, the sweet I, spot, isn't it? No, more than yeah. 20. It's a good balance. Yeah. Uh, I have a day where I don't see any clients uh, each week. And whether I use that to go out on the river or I use that to go disc golfing or I use that to sleep in or that doesn't happen much with kids anymore. But whatever it is, I can catch up on paperwork. I can do marketing or networking or I can just read a book if I want. So I think like it's things I've said to clients for years that now I'm at a point in my life where like, oh yeah, I actually need to do that too. I, I can't just <laughs> like skate by on working out regularly. I actually mm -hmm. need to do some of this other stuff. Um, so that's been really helpful for me. I think coming out of COVID, like my support system has changed a lot um, just for what I, I think was like normal and natural to me has I've become a lot more particular in who I want to spend time with and why, as opposed to just being like, oh, we grew up near each other. Or we've known each other for a long time. And like those, those relationships still have a place, but I'm a little bit more picky on like, I'm hanging out with this group of people because it accomplishes That's something. That's such a great me. boundary, right? I, yeah. I actually want to spend time with these people right. versus it's a habit to spend time or by yeah. default, they're my friends. Yeah. And I, I love being a parent too. So like kids are stressful. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and they can be a lot, but also like, I like coming home and being greeted by screaming voices and getting stuff thrown at me. I have two little boys. They're very active. So like, that's nice. That fits well with my strengths, I think, but also it's nice to like go home and play catch or go home to throw a kid on a bed and wrestle around a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, um, it, it, you know, it does sound like you have a, a really good kind of work-life balance or you navigate that, that that's a priority at least. Um, yeah. And for me, when I'm seeking help, whether it be through a therapist or even a doctor, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I want to go to someone who, again, walks the walk. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it's important for me that um, my healers take care of themselves. Yeah. And that's what that's kind of keeps me motivated. I'm naturally just drawn to kind of health and wellness. But then again, you know, I don't want to be talking about healthy boundaries and then be, you know, hanging out with people that I hate all the time. Yeah, for sure. I think, too, something that's changed as I've gotten older is being like much more, much more value consistent. And so even like finding a doctor who's working in a way that I would like, I don't want to say agree with, but like someone whose values are matching mine as opposed to just doing, and, and sometimes it is insurance-based. Sometimes you have a medical thing that's too expensive to pay out of pocket, but yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go work with people who are maybe like pushing, well, and I, I don't know, I'm going to say like conversion therapy or something like that. But you know, right. I don't want to have someone in, in my life, even if it's someone who I'm seeing as a healer, like who's not aligned with my values. Oh my gosh, we could do a whole an entire podcast series on this, but just the, the really the epidemic of healers, um, especially in the medical you know world, healers not being well themselves. Yeah. 
So you get that kind of wounded healer uh, syndrome. Yeah. And I think I've, I give talks every once a semester to a group of senior athletic trainers. And one of my talking points is always like, you don't actually get an award for being the first person to work and the last person to leave. That's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. um, but I see that a lot with medical fields. I've had a lot of clients over the years who work in the medical fields and like, yeah, it's just, there's, there's a lot of unhealthiness built into the system that they work in. And I don't know, some of them just take it on as like a point of pride. It's like, no, you're going to burn out. Like there's no option but to burn out. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I really love what you said earlier, too. You said something like it's important you enjoy what you do or it's important. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you would just do nothing or, you know, what was it you said? It's important you enjoy what you do. That I that I just be a miserable person if yeah, I don't, if I don't have those things. Yes. And that's um, huge. And I that's yep. so important for me, too. Um, and for me uh, to stay kind of engaged and interested um, when my brain is naturally moves a lot um, is I do a lot of continuing education, not traditionally, but I'll, you know, I've taken astrology courses. Um, mm -hmm. I'll take some art course, like art therapy is huge. Um, learning about different, you know, Chinese medicine as it relates to mental health. I constantly am learning, you know, different ways to, uh, or different lenses, I think, to see wellness and health. And for me, yep. that keeps it fun and interesting. Otherwise, I would get bored too. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, well, I have ADHD. And so my my attention span moves mm -hmm. quickly from thing to thing. Um, but I'm a but Gemini. The, That's my only excuse. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of my things is, is that, like, working with different people instead of being like, there's a right or wrong way to do things. Um, I, when I first started therapy with you, I picked you cause I was like, this person does therapy, zero of the ways that I do therapy. <laughs> and like, that's, that's what I thought. And like, that wasn't correct. And I knew that deep down, but I knew I needed to work with somebody who didn't do the same style of therapy I did. Otherwise I would just nitpick it and be like, well, that's not the question I was going to ask, or that's not, and just intellectualize it. And so, I've definitely broadened my experience with people I spend time with in other professions and in the mental health field who do it differently. And instead of like doing that, like infighting that I think is so common of like, oh, like, oh, you're, you're psychodynamic ick being like, oh, there's stuff to learn here, even if it doesn't fit for me personally, like someone out there does this style of therapy very well. And there's something that I could learn from them. hundred percent. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I I love that you kind of looked for somebody that was not at all like you, right? And that's kind of how you think. Which, you know, you think of a lot of people thinking, uh, I want to choose a therapist that's like me, similar background. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like personality wise is a good fit. And I think that's yeah. what matters more. But I just think from like that school of thought, like looking at it differently um, was a helpful change of pace. I, and I've always did that for sports like I coach volleyball but I grew up playing baseball so I've used a lot of like baseball skills in this is how like I call serves this this is how I would have called pitching and I think that's a weird thing for a lot of people but like I would talk to the soccer coach how do you teach this skill to your players and then use that for volleyball but I didn't have that for psychology because I think psychology has this and a lot of fields do I'm not picking on psychology but this in-group out-group kind of thing of like well there's right. a correct school of thought. What's what's your, how do you practice? And like, that's how you introduce yourself to other therapists or like, oh, I do DBT. And that means X, Y, and Z to, to other therapists versus yeah. just being like, yeah, this is kind of how I organize helping. Well, and I went to a school that was very psychodynamic based and CBT was kind of seen as like the evil, you know, stepchild. Sure. And yet it was CBT, you know, years later that really saved me in crisis. And so my, um, 
you know, my practice or my tools now I say are more um, like uh, it's kind of mix and match of what is meaningful for me um, yeah. versus like, you know, I'm psychodynamic or I'm just CBT or any of that. That it's really what's meaningful for me, what's meaningful for the client and then can we co-create it? So I don't um, ascribe to any one particular, you know, kind of background. Yeah. And I think you talk about and this resonates with me strongly, the idea of like wellness as as a broad scope of things so mental health is part of that not the whole of it and so like i'm drawing a lot from my background in sports psychology and working in athletics around sleep hygiene and um, nutrition and all this other stuff and like right that all affects mental health you can't take the brain oh, out of the thank body thank you thank you and when people come in you know i'll the client for an initial assessment and i hone in what's diet like what's sleep like how are you taking care of yourself? It all kind of, you know, not joking, but I'll often say you can't expect to have a healthy mental health state if you're, you know, eating like shit and sleeping like shit. So I'll often right. just start there. We start there with the basics that it's yep. a whole person again, and mental health isn't disconnected from that. Right. And really, one of one of the uh, one of the realms I really like to hone into with clients is that spiritual wellness, um, mm -hmm. not necessarily religious, but just um, really um, encouraging clients and people to, to tune into their own intuition. Yeah. What, what gives me spiritual meaning? What feels um, fulfilling? You know, what yeah. brings me joy? Yeah. I talk a lot about, I'll use the phrase meaning making as opposed to spirituality, but I'm also <laughs> working with a lot of religious trauma at this point in my career. Yeah. Um, and so the, a lot of people have deconstructed a certain religion and then it's kind of like, now what? And so not to use like a jargony word, but like having an ethos, having some sort of like system around meaning making, I think is really important. I, I like to use the word congruence where our thoughts and actions uh, and feelings align with our value system. And that feels really good, even though we don't spend much of our life congruent. And so like there's this That's idea right. of that value system or meaning making, um, I think is really important hugely important yeah and, and i really have enjoyed and love the type of uh, clients that come in to see me because i do believe most of them are really kind of spiritually attuned or maybe um intuitive i'll say mm -hmm. um without even knowing it right and so part of it is honing in of what is right for you and only you know that you know yourself better than your therapist your doctor your spouse you know whoever and so let's yeah. let's connect how can you connect to your own inner wisdom yeah. Yay. Okay. Isn't, isn't therapy fun? Um, yeah. Most of the time, not all the time. <laughs> yes. Let's get real. I would agree. Right? I would agree with yeah. that. I hate paperwork. Yeah. Um, what? Let's, let's, I'm doing a hard left turn here. Um, who's your favorite therapist? Like, who's your favorite, like, famous, you know? I can't, um, famous therapist. I don't have one. I'm just going to go with Todd. He was mine. He, he's not famous. And <laughs> not I'll tell famous. you this story. You know, he worked in a clinic setting and he was a bad dresser. And you just would look at him and be like, this guy doesn't have a shit together. Um, yeah. But you'd sit down with him and you'd just be honed in right on it. Um, okay. And so, uh, yeah, I, I would have to say, I don't know, famous. I mean, there's all, all sorts right. of motivational speakers, but let me let me ask a different question. Okay. You're a cat. You're a cat person. A dog. Okay, you're gonna get a new dog, but you have to name it after a famous psychologist. What are you naming the new dog? 
<laughs> this is a podcast so people can't it's see, like but Melissa just of- shook her head so strongly at me. <laughs> I just can't even answer. I won't even play with it. I, um, All right, that's fine. Okay, what's a what's a TV therapist that you have strong feelings about? Okay, I'm th- I'm trying to think of the name of the show. I can't even think of it. Okay. It's, it's like TV therapist, why am I blanking out? I don't know. Do clients talk to you about TV therapists? Because I often get recommendations mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. this show has a therapy episode, so you should well, okay. watch it. <laughs> this is not, okay, not a therapist, not a TV therapist, but I'm really into Wim Hof. Okay. The breathing techniques say- and withstanding yes. cold temperatures. Yes. So yeah. here's here's kind of the way I see is therapists can be kind of clinically trained, but there are a lot of mentors, guides out there. So I really, my broad, um, I, when I think of therapists, I think of like healers, mentors. So I've been really yeah. into Wim Hof. Sure. Hugely. Now, I'm going to turn on you. Have you ever tried a, a cold plunge? Yes. Uh, I've done the polar plunge several times, not necessarily for mental health, just as like a I'm from Wisconsin, so it's a thing that you do. <laughs> uh, the last time I did it, it was so terrible uh, because there was like, I want to say like four or five feet of ice on the shore. And so you had to like climb over the ice, then jump yeah. into the lake mm-hmm. and then climb out and everything is numb. And so like, I was so cut up. I was just like bleeding you from the bleeding. knees down because it- I and, like I didn't feel it at all. But. I love that. I love that you tried it. But I'm, I'm legit is that um, the cold exposure and the breathing techniques are so good for mental health. So yes. just recorded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so, uh, mm-hmm. I love uh, the in Finnish culture, the, the sauna culture of going out and jumping into the lake and then going into the sauna yes. and sweating it out. Um, Wim Hof, I think, is, is I'm going to riff on this for a little bit. He's he's fascinating because I think in a lot of ways people have had to research his claims because they're so outlandish and so a lot of science has come out of it but i also working in the the um with athletes like there's way too many athletes who think like oh if i just take a cold shower after i work out that solves a lot of my issues Mm -hmm. and it's like no like Mm -hmm. there's benefits to that but none of this is like a magic pill that you like can take and it solves all your problems or anything so, right. so I think like someone like Wim Hof is fascinating where it's like, yeah, the actual science behind it is fascinating. And what you hear on like TikTok or Instagram that doesn't quite understand it is probably right. like missing there's the oversimplification. Point. But I'm really into that. Um, I think there's tools out there that have yet to be in the mainstream that are going to be really effective for mental health aside from talk therapy. Yeah. Um, cold exposure is kind of, you know, one and you, there's even research with um, PTSD and, and cold exposure. Um, yeah. And then also, I don't know if you're doing a podcast on psychedelics, but even um, psychedelics. Yeah. 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 And uh, my my training in religious trauma, that's, that's how uh, a lot of people are starting to work with or play around with a, a treatment format for religious trauma is um, psychedelic treatment. Mm-hmm. We're in Wisconsin. So, you know, who knows? It's it's so weird to me because Madison's one of the big University of Wisconsin Madison is one of the big research institutions studying psychedelics and like marijuana is not even legal in our state yet so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who knows when that might be available it's kind of on my like two to five year list of things right. where maybe I'll get credentialed in it if I think it'll be yes. I think Oregon's the only state so far that's that's totally legalized mushrooms anyway okay um, but I think psychedelics at large. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And again, like I balance 
I'm fascinated with that stuff. I don't think we have good explanations for a lot of things that happen yet, but I also like need the science to catch up then. Like yeah. I'm so instantly skeptical because I work with, we, we see all these people who have tried fad diets or some sort of weird fad mental health thing and it failed them. It's like, well, there was something in there that was useful. And then there was a bunch of stuff that wasn't. And so like distilling that down, I think the science part is helpful for me personally to understand why it's working the way it's working. But yeah, I, Wim Hof's so fascinating. If people haven't seen or heard of him, he's a fascinating character. He's an interesting dude. Um, so interesting, so charismatic. And I think yeah. the last I saw him was he, you know, turned 64 and did a 64 minute ice bath at home with a smile on his, you know, this is on, on social media, but right. um, so charismatic. But I, I went to a Wim Hof training um, right before COVID, not with Wim Hof, but with an instructor day long training. And it was pretty mm -hmm. profound. It was pretty legit. So, um, you know, I'm always interested in those experimental. Uh, you yeah. Know. Well, and, and all these different breathing techniques. I mean, you see it in a lot of like religious backgrounds and a lot of things from um, ancient traditions that have uh, chanting or things like we know uh, some of like the uh, monks who do chanting, like they're stimulating their vagus nerve and like polyvagal Amazing. theory has now like explained why that works, but this is a thing that traditionally has been passed on for, for you know, millennia, yes. but we didn't know why it was doing something. And now we have the science to say, oh, well, this is why it's working mm -hmm. this way. And like, I just, I love that, like when it intersects that way, where it's like, we have, we have evidence that this works, we don't know why. And then the science catches up and says like, oh, this is why. Amazing. So yeah. who yeah. is your favorite TV therapist, famous therapist? Who would oh. you name your dog after? <laughs> I don't like TV therapists. They, okay. they bother me. Um, I got to actually do a training with my uh, favorite famous therapist, Harleen Anderson, who's one of the big um, names in collaborative language therapy, which is if I have to, if I'm forced to choose, that's mm -hmm. what I say that I do. Um, but yeah, I did a training with her, which was like fantastic and awesome. Like, I don't know. She's she's great. She's this tiny, like 80 year old woman. And I was like, Harleen, you're my therapy crush. And she had never heard that term before and thought it was very <laughs> funny. Um, so uh, I would pick her, although Harleen Anderson, maybe I could I think I could name a dog Harleen. That's that's a different enough. I don't like to give pets people names. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I have. I have opinions on this, a lot of the famous early people like Freud and Young. Like when someone tells me they're doing shadow work, I'm like, oh, well, we're we're not going to do that in therapy. <laughs> uh, not with you, I, right? <laughs> I loved, I really liked early in my career, uh, Carl Whitaker uh, spent some time in Wisconsin and I'm, I'm such a homer. I like Wisconsin-y people. Uh, he spent some time at University of Medicine, but like that person centered, uh, centered he took what Carl Rogers did and and did a lot of fun things with that in the family therapy realm. So. I would I would say Harleen Anderson first and then maybe Carl Whitaker after that. But he used to do like, man, the way we learned, this drove me crazy in grad school. Like he would do like six hour sessions with families. And like, this was back in the day. So Ooh. he'd like just be chain smoking cigarettes while he's doing yeah, it. And, then, and like, we're learning how to do therapy. And I'm just like, no insurance company is going to ever reimburse me for a six hour session. Like this is well, not it sounds exhausting. I mean, geez. yeah. How much of that was just the family being like agreeing to it, like a hostage situation like, exactly. or we'll be nice to each other. You just get beaten down. <laughs> Holy smokes. Wow. Well, I yeah. love your response. It's a, it's a little bit better response than my, my favorite therapist is Wim Hof. <laughs> yeah. But no, it goes to show that I really, again, I see, I don't kind of limit, I kind of uh, myself to just, you know, clinically trained therapists. It's like, who do I see as a healer, as a mentor, you know, sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. I just like to hear other therapists rant and rave about like TV therapists that really irritate them. <laughs> yeah. Right. But there's sometimes a, there's, there was one, there's an age, there's shown on HBO uh, with um, uh, about therapists. Jason Siegel, there's a new one out there. Anyway, um, there was a t technique that I saw on the show that the therapist was giving a client, and I was like, I'm going to try that with my client. <laughs> yeah, no, there's one on, I don't remember what it's called either. Um, shrinking. Is, it's on yes, Apple TV. and Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Harrison yep. Ford did the whole, you set the timer for 10 minutes and let yourself cry, and then you move on. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've heard uh, okay things about that. I've I've had another therapist recommend it to me, and it's just on Apple TV, which I don't subscribe to, so I haven't tracked it down yet. But. Yeah, I've watched a few episodes and then kind of lost interest. It was interesting. Yeah, I would say there's a lot that goes down in that show that couldn't happen in real life, so it's kind of humorous. Right. That's you know, every, I think, uh, at one point every he therapy has, show. He's a client living with him, you know. Uh, his, yeah. yeah, they're ordering pizza together. I'm like, holy shit, that would never. <laughs> Well, maybe I'll have to track it down just so I can do a review video of all the things wrong with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could probably come up with a lot. So, Awesome. Well, Melissa, I'm so stoked that you agreed. I told you off camera I didn't have a backup plan for my first episode if you turned me down. So I'm, I'm very grateful uh, for you agreeing to come on. I think this was awesome. Uh, very much uh, kind of what I was like expecting to get from our conversation because i know that we we align after working together professionally um but also like yeah i think these are things that other therapists need to hear i think this is what people need to hear about therapists like we're just people too and we go to therapy we do our own stuff where works in progress and sometimes it's great and sometimes we've got more work to do that's right well thanks for having me jeremy and thanks for getting the message out there and all of your creativity in um reaching people right uh with this message yeah. So thanks for, for sure. having me. Yeah, this was awesome. All right. So big shout out to my therapist, Melissa Hale, for joining me to kick off the podcast. You can find out more information about Melissa and the awesome work that she does over at wildstonewellness.com. And you can always find my social media information, blogs, YouTube, whatever, over at wellnesswithjerry.com. We have all those useful links and other information in the show notes. Thank you to all the listeners out there who tuned in. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. The plan is to have weekly episodes, so give us a follow and tag a therapist you'd like me to interview in the future. Thanks again for listening to Your Therapist Needs Therapy. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week.